Welcome to the Coming Home Well podcast, the show that educates, supports, and advocates for the veteran community. Your host, Dr. Tyler Piron, U.S. Army retired, will bring you exciting conversations with amazing guests about resources, research, and military history, all geared to helping our warriors to come home well. Here's your host, Dr. Tyler Piron. Welcome back to Coming Home Well. I'm your host, Dr. Tyler Piron, and today we're going to be talking about employment, veteran employment. It's a challenge out there. You look at the numbers, you read the reports, you hear it on the news. Unemployment is at historical lows. However, veteran unemployment is still pretty darn high. It's always higher than even the regular unemployment numbers, and there's a lot of reasons for that. But one of the things that we want to talk about is why do companies want to hire veterans? Why should they hire veterans? What are they getting when they hire a veteran? To get after that, we have Paul Dillon. He is a private consultant. He's with Dillon Consulting. He's got a long history, and so we're going to talk to him about that. But he was a former Army Reserve officer, served in Vietnam. Uh, He also adjuncts at the Sanford School of Public Policy at Duke. So he's got a lot of experience in dealing with veteran employment issues. And and don't worry, I'm going to ask him, how in the world did you get involved in that? Because that's a great story. But folks, welcome, Paul, to the show. Thank you so much, Tyler. And thank you so much for having me. It's it's an honor to be here. So I am really impressed with everything you do. And, And we've talked and we've emailed and we've been back and forth. But veteran employment is a really big area, and there's a lot of challenges. So what's going on with veteran employment these days? First of all, the statistics look pretty good right now, but these are just the statistics. I pulled up the unemployment rates for December of 2022, and the veteran unemployment rate, believe it or not, according to federal government, and this is all veterans of all age groups, was 3.2% in December. That must be a historic low. It's a historic, must be a historic low. And the civilian employment rate for December of 2022 was 3.4%. So veterans actually had done better quite recently than the general population. Now that's what the statistics say, but you and I know that anecdotally that many veterans have problems getting employment and translating their skills that they learned in the military into the civilian world. So anecdotally, we know that it's a lot tougher than what those statistics say. And, you know, the neat thing or the sort of the weird thing about those statistics is they're looking at people who are actively looking for work. So if you're not looking for work or you're getting some money from somewhere else, you're not counted. Or if you're way underemployed, you know, you're working at a minimum wage job, even though you should, by, by skill and training, have a much more advanced job, but you're doing enough just to get by, you're not counted as unemployed. So these numbers don't really and, tell right. the whole story. And that's why I said anecdotally, we know, we both know from people we know, studies we read, you know, people, veterans we talk to, that it's a lot tougher than what those uh, statistics say. But I wanted to read them just to these other people who come across them and say, well, you know, what, are, what does this mean? You know, well, yeah, that's what the gross numbers say. 
but it can be more difficult than that. So we, we know the numbers are low, but there's a lot of job openings out there. There's a lot of anytime you go out to eat or you go somewhere, they're always looking for people because it's a lot of jobs. And with COVID, things have changed a lot of things in the last three or four years. Why in the world would employers want to hire a veteran over somebody else? Because, Tyler, of the skills that they can bring. And we know what those skills are. For those of us who have served, we've experienced them, and they've been very, you know, very well documented. And skills of a, of a commitment to accomplishing the mission. And because, as you know, in the military, that's your job, right? You've got a mission, and you've got to drive towards it. And so the goal of accomplishing a mission is very strong in anybody who's been in the armed forces of the United States. Certainly a commitment to hard work. The Army used to have a saying, we do more by 9 a.m. than most people do all day. Let me tell you something that is absolutely true. And for those of us who weren't early risers by nature, we got used to that. And so the days could be very long and very hard, you know, so you're used to doing hard work, you know, you're, you're not going to, to slough off. The whole of the armed forces, as we both know, and as many people who most people who serve know, is built on the buddy system. You're a part of a team and you know how to operate as a part of that team. And if you have any rank for any leadership positions, you've had experience in leading a team and leading a team, not just to make a profit, but leading a team where life and death matters. Big difference. A little, you know? little more bigger stakes there. Yeah. Yeah. They're a little bigger stakes. The other thing that I think very people, veterans bring who have served in the military is and the, and that the general public doesn't understand the general public who hasn't served which is now 99% of the nation you know thinks that the whole of the armed forces is about following orders yeah you've got to follow orders but the ability to pivot on a moment's notice from plans that aren't working to plans that do is a critical skill that the military teaches you. Because by God, Lieutenant Dillon, if your battle plan isn't working out, you better figure out something that does. Or a lot of people are going to get killed here. Yeah, so, that agility of, of being able to adjust on the fly within a framework. Not, right. You know, I mean, you've got to figure it out now and under great duress. So it's a tremendous skill that that many businesses can use and the ability to take complex situations and interpret them in simple ways, because you've got this mission out there that is maybe very complex. How are you going to interpret that to the troops so that they understand it? You know, these and, are all excellent points because these are sort of like the general traits that if you served in the military, you have. And I think a lot of folks really focus on the hard skills The you know, what's on your resume. I did this amount of X, Y, or Z, or I can 
you know, I can program in this language or some of these very specific hard skills. And they don't really talk about these sort of broader, very important skill sets that they bring to the table. And that's right. And I think the last one I want to mention is the most important of all. For those of us who have been fortunate enough to be commission officers or even senior non-commissioned officers, duty of others before self and taking care of your people. The Armed Forces of the United States offer, for those of us who have been commissioned officers or senior non-commissioned officers, the best leadership training in the world. Let me repeat that. The best leadership training in the world. Why? Because, Tyler, if your people aren't convinced that you're going to take care of them while you're accomplishing the mission, they're not going to follow you. Nobody is going to sacrifice themselves for your silver star or your legion of merit. They're not going to do it. That's absolutely true. You know, there's these companies will spend millions of dollars trying to train people with servant leadership. And the army's been teaching servant leadership for how old is the army now? 247, 253, somewhere I don't know the exact number. I think it's 253 years. You know, I mean, the army's been teaching that for 253 years. Now the people are just sort of getting to it now. That's right. Servant leadership, you know? Well, Unless you're a servant leader in the military, it doesn't work. Nobody's going to follow you. And I think those are just some of the many skills that those of us who have served can bring to the private sector. And boy, the private sector, you know, where I've spent my entire career, you know, more than 45 years in the accounting and consulting business, the private sector can use those skills, let me tell you. You know, you bring up a really interesting point about the these skill sets that are so important. And folks, that well, if you're looking for a job, you should really talk to these because they're really important skills. They're the soft skills that make things work. You know, they there's an old saying: people don't leave a, a bad job; they leave bad leaders. And that's why you have a lot of churn and turnover and things like that. But even when it's a bad situation or the, it's really hard work. They'll stay with a good leader, a good person who takes care of them. And I think that's important for veterans. And I, the more I've studied this veteran employment situation, the more I've, I understand, come to understand that the responsibility so much lies on the individual veteran looking for the job. They've got to identify themselves as a veteran, number one. And number two, they have to realize that they have these skills and articulate them to the company. And it's really incumbent upon the veteran who's searching for a job, looking for a job to do those two things. You know? and, and it's it's a challenge to say, well, I'm a servant leader or, you know, I take care of people, but you really have to come up with a scenario or a story an or example. a way to, or right. an example. Cause right. you could just say these things. Right. And, but what does that mean? How right. do you translate that into, hey, I need to, I'm going to use that to make more money. Or you're interviewing somebody and they say, you know, I, I was just a squad leader. You know, oh, you were in charge of other people? Tell me a story about the time when you, you know, and th- th- that'll bring out some of the, hopefully, some of the leadership skills 
that even a squad leader has. Oh, I mean, they, they deal with the, a lot of Joes and a lot of things happening at that, that very rubber meets the road level. You bet. And, and it's probably one of the hardest positions in the army, I would imagine. I mean, I've, I've seen it, I've done it, but I, I'm looking at it. I'm like, you know, dealing with all the craziness that the, the junior enlisted tend to happen is why we have safety briefs all the time. Right. It's kind of crazy, but you know, that's a good point. The companies, when you're interviewing, if you're trying to hire veterans, should try to pull some of these these stories and anecdotes out when they're doing interviews. That's a really good point. And they need to, the companies need to be, these are professorial words now, you know, really competent, meaning they have to, even though they haven't served, they have to understand some of the culture that the military brings. And there's any number of ways to do that. There's a number of consulting firms who will do it. There's a wonderful organization called Psych Armor, the Psych Armor Institute, which has free online programs to help companies become culturally, culturally competent in, in military jargon and philosophy and way of operating. And I think it's important for companies to to avail themselves of that experience and and those resources that are out there. So, Paul, you've been helping veterans and with entrepreneurship and a number of things. How in the world did you get involved in this? I know you served, so you probably have a special place in your heart. But when I think of accounting and consultancy, I don't think of a, a whole lot of veteran-focused type thing. Uh, it's a very interesting story, and it's a story of one thing leading to another. And it's also a story, particularly, I think, for young people, realizing when an opportunity comes your way, and if it looks like a good horse, get on and ride it. What's the worst that could happen? It doesn't work out, you know? Well, you know, I mean, a lot of things don't work out. But if you never get on the horse and, and ride it, you don't know whether it works out or not. So I left the accounting firm retired from the accounting firm that I was with at 2006. I started Dillon Consulting Services, and I did a number of different things. One of the clients I had, and I'm from Chicago, I moved down here to North Carolina about 10 years ago, the grandchildren down here. And one of the things, one of the clients I had was a organization, a publication called Crane Chicago Business which is the business Bible for, for Chicago business, both online and in print, very well respected, very much the authority, authoritative voice of business in Chicago. And there's one in New York and there's one in Detroit. There's one in Cleveland and other places. It goes to show you how little I do with the, with the private sector that I have no idea of any of these, <laughs> right, these right. organizations. So Cranes came to me and I was researching some articles that they might want to write and helping them out with their events. They came to me in 2011 and said, we hear of companies in Chicago who are hiring veterans and programs to support that. We don't know anything about it. We think maybe we'd like to do something in the publication around Veterans Day of 2011. We don't know what that is, whether it's going to be an article or a focus section or advertising supplement, but we need somebody to research it. And we think you're the guy to do it because you're a vet. You know, like I said, I'm a Vietnam vet, you know, and army officer. And so I said, okay. And I spent Tyler about five months full time and produced a volume of research for them 
about six inches thick. That turned into a very successful focus section in the publication called Veterans in the Workplace that, that outlined all the programs, most of the programs in Chicago, companies that hire veterans and programs to support that. Cranes was delighted. They got new advertisers. They got some national publicity. Nobody had ever done this back in 2011 before. There was a gentleman who worked for Cranes Communications, the parent company. His wife was the associate dean of the Harris School of Public Policy at the University of Chicago. And I've known, known her for years, Lydia. And Lydia calls me and she says, you know, David says, everybody's talking about this work, research work you did, well, the focus section and the publication. We're the University of Chicago. We're the School of Public Policy. We know that there are veterans on campus. It's probably a student veteran organization. We think we'd like to do something because it's a public policy issue. So Lydia and I had lunch a, a couple of times, and I produced for them a four-week mini course on veterans issues that, that covered the full gamut from veteran mental health, traumatic brain injury, substance abuse, legal issues, housing and homelessness, employment, entrepreneurship. That uh, sounds like a whole bunch of research and something yeah, right. they just weren't culturally aware of. Right. And and uh, there was no tuition, no credit. I didn't get paid, but it was you know, a phenomenal learning experience for everybody. We had students from public policy, from the law school, from the business school who came four nights in the winter in Chicago. And it was a, it was a great success. From that, I learned even more about all these veterans. That issues. was probably just the start of, of everything. Right. You can see how this is beginning to a snowball. snowball, you know? Yeah. In 2013, I sat down with the publisher of Crane Chicago Business and I said, David, this is another David. I said, you know, Chicago wants to be the startup capital of the Midwest. They've got this incubator there called 1871, they, named after the Great Chicago Fire to spur entrepreneurship. The mayor brings the president of France to there, you know, a big deal. I said, Chicago doesn't do anything, though, for veterans who want to start their own businesses. There's a couple hundred thousand of them in the metropolitan area. Why? Why doesn't Chicago do anything? Because veterans like to be with other veterans. And there's, you know, there's some unique skill sets here. I said, you know, David, somebody should write an editorial or an op-ed. Why? Why doesn't Chicago do more for veterans who want to start their own businesses? He puts down his fork and says, why don't you write one? So well, that I sounds did. like an invitation. Right. So I did. It was called Chicago's a Startup City, but not for vets. Let me tell you, that got a spirited reaction in the city. I, I assume there was uh, there was outrage and yeah. much gnashing of teeth yeah. and kind of a shock as well. Yeah, uh, that that led to, then to an introduction to the people running 1871. They, the incubator that Chicago just started, they weren't ready to do anything yet. The person I talked to left. A new person came in whom I knew. I sent them all my research, and in 20 and I moved on to North Carolina in November of 2013. In 2014, along comes the Bunker, now known as Bunker Labs, founded by a very dynamic young uh, ex-naval lieutenant, Todd Connor, who's now very successful. I think he's got chapters in 
35 cities across the nation. We have one down here in the Research Triangle Park called Bunker RDU after the call letters of the Raleigh-Durham Airport. So I'm not the founder of the bunker, but I'm kind of the godfather of the idea that behind it. The person at the Harris School of Public Policy knew the person who was career placement at Duke, sent my stuff to Duke University. Any interested Duke doing a similar course? They said, yes, we talked for a number of years. That's how I got to be teaching a course, creating a teaching, a course for Duke University. And then that launched the Helping Veteran Entrepreneurs. So you can see that, you know, it's, it's not something I intended to do. It's a story of, of one thing leading to another. But the most important lesson, particularly for young people to learn is keep your ears open and your eyes open. And when opportunities come along, why not? You know, it's interesting how this entire thing started. It was, you know, basically a free effort on your part to sort of develop this entire thing. That's a lot of effort to jump in without like, you know, getting paid necessarily. Well, Cranes paid me, but. Okay. But, See, but, and that yeah. one thing led to another, you know. Right. But the, but the Harris School of Public Policy was a volunteer effort, you know. So, you Once know. Once you're yeah. an expert, you can do a lot of things. Yeah. And, you know, any. <laughs> definition of an expert is anybody more than 50 miles from home with a briefcase, you know? So, uh, you know, yesterday I couldn't even spell expert today. I is one, you know? So that's the uh, old joke about combat engineers. Yeah. Yesterday I couldn't spell engineer. Now I is one. Right. right. So we talked, uh, that's a fascinating way to get involved in helping veterans with the workforce transition, helping companies and, and entrepreneur and some of these development labs reach out and how to get at their target audience, but there's a lot that companies can do. I know it's sort of a challenge because it's sort of a cultural thing, but it doesn't have to be a big company. It could be a small one. It could be, you know, one of these HVAC companies with like 20 people or something, you know, what it doesn't matter the size of the company. It's more about what they're doing. So what are some of the things that companies can do to recruit, but more importantly, retain veterans? You know, companies, there are, there are several things that I've learned over the years. Companies need to advertise that they're going to recruit veterans and then go to organizations that might help them do that. There's one here in North Carolina called NC for Me, North Carolina for Military Employment. That's wonderful. First class does the best job that I've ever Seen run by a wonderful woman, Kimberly Williams, the state, just a, a, a marvelous program. There's an organization in Chicago, the National Able Network, that helps companies recruit veterans. Where do they find these? I would advise any company who wants to hire veterans, the first stop would be to go to their state Department of Veterans Affairs, because I found the people in each state in their Department of Veterans Affairs be very helpful. And they know, they know the landscape of the state. There are some national organizations, Hire Heroes, Vet Tech, whatever, that people can look up and Google and look up. But I found that the State Department of Veterans Affairs in each state, it can be very helpful in helping you locate organizations that can help you find veterans or help you find veterans directly. That's the first step. Mm -hmm. I think the second step is if you're going to hire veterans, do it 
because you need the help and the skills that veterans bring. Don't do it for PR purposes. That's a really good point. Veterans can smell that a mile away. They uh, believe token, a token veteran. Right. You know, boy, we, you know, we hire veterans in our company, you know, but we don't give them meaningful work. Well, you know, if you're going to hire a vet with all the skills that they bring, you know, bring them meaningful work, you know, and I think that's, that's so, so important. I said, and I alluded to this earlier, being culturally competent, going out and maybe having veterans in your company be the ones who go out and help to hire veterans, at least go to places like the Psycharmer Institute so that you can get, you know, free help in, in understanding the military culture. So I think being culturally competent is, is very important. Having your employee assistance program, if you have one, be sure to cover issues that might be important to veterans, both physically and mentally. So ensure that your employee assistance program can be of help to veterans. You can create within the company a veteran affinity group. So everybody, you know, and that's that's an interesting point because I guess I've seen a bunch of them, you know, for the various groups, African American or women employment or whatever. I don't think I've ever seen a veteran one. There, there are companies that have them, and I was aware of several companies in Chicago that did this. And it wasn't just for the veterans, but it could be for spouses of veterans. Or actually, anybody who's interested in veterans can the come affinity together. Group, yeah, right. that's it's a broader you, category, right? And and it's usually housed in the HR department. And issues might come up like a person needs a pillow for a chair, you know, and right. they can a talk about it. Yeah, a little accommodation in that group, you know. So those are the types of issues that come up, and uh, and I think a veteran affinity groups can be very valuable. There are some people who don't like affinity groups. They say, well, it splits the culture of the company. I don't particularly see that. And so I think, you know, I think that they work and I'm I'm very much for them. And like I said, having veterans already employed in your company going out and helping to recruit veterans And finally, I think veterans in companies can demonstrate their leadership skills, not only within the company, but by taking on civic projects and community projects that reflect well on the company, where they can use those leadership skills and show the company that they're doing work outside of the corporate environment that is bringing good light on the company and shining good light on the company. So I think there's any number of ways that that companies can not only recruit, but just as important, retain the veterans. You know, it's an interesting point where you brought about nonprofit or in the workplace, very much show, not tell leadership and, and take charge and do the things like you were in the military. Obviously, don't yell at people and and things like that, because sometimes we get these preconceived notions of what military life is like with lots of right. shouting and yeah, brain, knife hands. And, yeah, yeah, brainless killer, you know. Right, and, and, uh, and that hasn't been the case for at least 30 years, probably right. longer. I, right. I wouldn't know. I'm not that right. old. Right. But you can't lead by screaming and yelling for very long. It doesn't engender a lot of uh, right. respect or right. anything else. It's much more convincing, obviously, it's within a framework 
But every business has a framework of expected cultural norms. Right. The military is no different, and yelling right. and screaming is not part of it. But right. taking charge and leading and, and doing the things that need to be done, we did it in the military because right. we knew what needed to be done. Right. Do the same thing in your private jobs or when you're looking for work. Hey, right. this is how I'm going to help you accomplish your mission. Right. And, you know, just take charge of it. You know, I mean, what's the worst that can happen? Oh, well, it was a mistake. I'm sorry. What do you say to a person after, after they said they're sorry? You know, I mean, you know, it's much better to beg for forgiveness than it is for permission. Absolutely. So, so go ahead and do it. And, and you'd be, you know, don't do it radically. Calculate out very carefully what the upside is. Even more important, what the downside might be. But if the downside doesn't look too bad, and typically it isn't, go ahead and do it. Unfortunately, I've taught my children the same thing. So, uh, but uh, they've gone out, done things, and uh, but they've all been successful, and I'm quite proud of all three of them. So, uh, well, you know, it's no different than mission planning. You start with the end goal in mind and work your way backwards. Sometimes we forget about these very basic things we do as leaders about how do we lead? Oh, well, we start with the with the intention uh, of what I want to accomplish and what do I need to get there? Right. And in civilian life, sometimes we forget about those things. Right. I think, you know, what they call in the military, commander's intent, you know, and that isn't, that isn't communicated. You'd be surprised in the private sector. That just isn't communicated. Somebody say, oh, go do this. Well, why? why? What are we what trying I, to get after? What are we trying to get at here? You know, don't bother me. Just go ahead and do well. You know, I mean, what's your intent? What What's going to be the end game here if you're asking me to do this? And so it's, again, Tyler, it's, you know, the leadership skills that you learn in the military that can be very, very valuable to any corporate environment. So we've talked about a number of things, and I find the fascinating history of how you sort of got involved in this. What should I have asked you about but didn't? Unlike when I came home from Vietnam in 19, early 1971, when there was nothing. I mean, there was nothing. There was not only no help, we were shunned. We were despised. I was an officer with a master's degree and couldn't get a job. You know, we were hated. Fortunately, the nation, I hope, has learned from that experience. And they've learned to separate the warrior from the war. So, so no matter what you thought of the involvement in Afghanistan or Iraq, they haven't projected that upon the warrior, the person yeah. who served. There's and, another another whole show we could go into on the cultural yeah, dynamics yeah, of that change. It's amazing, but you're absolutely right. And I think that the numbers speak to that because, and I have no hard evidence of this, this is just the numbers that I hear, that there are now between 40,000 and 50,000 separate nonprofit organizations in this country devoted to veterans, between 4,000 and 8,000 websites supported by roughly $2 billion in, in corporate in contributions, philanthropy, companies, individuals supporting these organizations. So now the question is, 
there's too much. And how does the veteran, <laughs> you know, how does the veteran find what is, is meaningful for them? And I think that can be a task. And I think, again, that this, I found the State Department of Veterans Affairs can be very helpful in guiding the veteran in, okay, you want to you be, you know, you want to go into the trades, all right? So the Teamsters have a program, uh, Helmets to Hard Hats, okay? I think you should look into that. So I think they can guide you into, into programs that, that are more suitable to what you want to do. And which is a complete reverse when there was nothing, you know. You know, that is actually one of the hardest things we do at Coming Home Well. We talk to a lot of different organizations, and there's tens of thousands of veterans organizations out there. And all of them are started, or 99.9% are started with the best of intentions. But some go, some begin, some fold, some just lose traction. And that's actually one of the major criteria that we have is that they have to be enduring. They have to be successful. They have to be there for the veterans. But the other half, and this is really important, the State Department of Veterans Affairs at each state. We we talk to our Department of Veterans Services here in the Commonwealth of Virginia all the time, have them on the show because there's so many wonderful programs that are out there. And it's these little things that make all the difference. One of the things we do at Coming Home Well that I, I just love this program, it's very small, but the workforce where people are trying to get a job and they're a veteran and they're trying to start a job, but a lot of jobs require you have to have safety boots. You have to have a hard hat. You know, they don't issue you the boots. Right. And so that's one of the things that we do is to help veterans. Oh, you've got a job, you're, you're unhoused or you're, you've been in prison or you don't have that starting capital even to start a job is we help them get the boots and safety equipment they need to go work at Lowe's or a factory or wherever right. they they've found a job it's right. those little things that there are groups out there that right. help sort of solve these intractable but overlooked problems uh, there's if, a lot of programs out there you just got to know where they are right and like and i always say them. You right. can't find them when you need them. Right. You got to kind of know about them or, or right. know who to reach out to. It's the same thing in the military. Right. I may not know the answer, but I can get you an answer in three phone calls. Right. And that's the way a lot of these veteran organizations and the State Department of Veterans Affairs are so good at because right. they deal with it day in, day out. And right. they know who to call. Right. And And I think, you know, also for people who live in bigger cities, you know, Chicago being the one I'm familiar with, you know, I mean, go and see what Cook County has for veterans and Chicago has for veterans, you know, and mm -hmm. I think that in addition to the state, you know, so people in bigger metropolitan areas could find even more local resources, possibly. I can't speak for everybody, but possibly. Sure. No matter where you are, though, make sure you reach out to your Department of Veterans Affairs. Right. They'll have a job center. They'll have Right. somebody that's right. designated to help right. find you a job, get you right. there, right. introduce you, resume help. Folks have listened to the show a long time. Alfredo Torres, our own Alfredo. He's an awesome guy. He is one of the folks until he, he started a new job with the federal government. He was at the State Department of Veteran Services helping people find jobs. Right. Alfredo's Coach's Corner here and Coming Home Well, great program. 
go listen to it. Go say hi to Alfredo on LinkedIn. But yeah, that's exactly the kind of things that are out there. But there are also these companies, if you're listening and you have a company and you are interested in hiring veterans, reach out to these Department of Veterans Services, reach out to some of these organizations that are trying to help veterans jobs, but then you're offering a job. It's It's a match made in heaven. Right. You bet. We, we've been talking with Paul Dillon of Dillon Consulting. He's, he's a lifelong learner. He's been helping veterans for many years. It's an interesting story how he got that started. He's also with the Sanford School of Public Policy at Duke, though he is speaking for himself. I want to make sure I add that caveat so he doesn't get in trouble. Uh, Paul's a Vietnam veteran, came back, middle of the war. Things have dramatically changed how we treat our veterans but we're still not there 100%. Instead of turning our backs, we're trying to put the hands out, but sometimes we keep missing when we go to shake hands. So think about some of these things. And if you have any questions, reach out to us at Coming Home Well. We'll get you in touch with Paul or be able to answer any questions. If we don't know the answer, we'll certainly do our best to try to get you those answers. Paul, thanks so much for coming on Coming Home Well. Thank you so much, Tyler. It's been a pleasure and I really appreciate you having me. Thanks for joining us this week on Coming Home Well with Dr. Tyler Pieron. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and a review. Follow us on Instagram at comminghomewell underscore BTS or on Twitter at comminghomewell. Thanks again. And until all are home and all are well, this is Coming Home Well. Coming Home Well.